Screen Time on News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. We look at the new film noir set in Dublin, Barber, starring Aidan Gillen, when I talk to its director, Fenton Connolly. We return to the Gale Talk with a new TG Cahar show, Sail Ella. And News Talk's own Jessica Kelly chats about her favourite film. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well and life is treating you good. We had the visit of Uncle Joe this week, of course, President Biden. I live in Louth and I took... We all went, my wife and my three children, to the square in Dundalk. And uh, there was a lot of hanging around. I don't want to cast aspersions on the trip. I think it all went very well. But we stood in the rain for two hours and then saw a black car passing, which may have contained the president of America. But anyway, we made the effort. A huge reaction to last week's show when we looked at the best comedies of all time in the company of Chris Wasser and Aoife Barry. A lot of people got in touch, enjoyed it. And of course, suggesting we should have mentioned a few others. Most notably, people talked about The Big Lebowski. A lot of people were saying you should have mentioned that and that's one of their favourite comedies of all time. I probably didn't do that because we've talked about that so many times on this show, but it is one of the greatest comedies of all time, unquestionably. Uh, Just to bring you a flavour, Mick Shanahan was in touch talking about dirty, rotten scoundrels. I can see that. Steve Martin and Michael Caine. And then I got a lovely note from Vincent, Vincent Hand, who was delighted I picked The Odd Couple, said said it's his favourite comedy of all time, and then sent me a gorgeous photo montage of sorts showing Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau and Billy Wilder's graves all buried side by side in Westwood Village Memorial Park in Hollywood. So it was lovely to get that. So thank you, Vincent, and indeed all of you who got in touch. And we will do another special show soon. Now, this week in TV, I was watching this. Making the first album, touring the first album, recording it. I think it was as close to, like, dreams coming true as you could possibly get. But as soon as your first album does well, it's like, can I do it again though? So there's that tension all the time. You can only be the next big thing for like a year. The clock's second. Now that was the Scottish singer Lewis Capaldi. How I'm Feeling Now is the name of his new Netflix documentary. You may have heard about this because Lewis Capaldi is this Scottish singer, I don't know a huge amount about the few songs of his I've heard on the radio. I I like, I have to say. And that massive song he had, Someone You Loved. And this finds him in between the huge success of that and his next project, the next album. And he's under a huge amount of pressure. And it devolves, I suppose, into him becoming increasingly panic-stricken and eventually being diagnosed with a form of Tourette's because the pressure starts to manifest itself in these tics. And his shoulders are 
and his body is ticking so much that it's almost hard for him to perform. This is a very honest documentary. At times, maybe it felt slightly intrusive, nearly too raw, and you, you questioned the efficacy of having this man being so open on screen, but I guess it's probably of huge benefit to people who are struggling as well. It, it is very raw and very honest. Capaldi comes across as a really likable guy who's just really struggling to deal with this whack of fame that he had. There's a lot of hope in it towards the end as well, and, and it's not a downer. So it was an interesting watch. As I say, maybe a little uncomfortable at times because you had a slight feeling of voyeurism at this man's pain. But I guess the flip side of that is, you know, showing people we're not alone in our loneliness, as Patrick Kavanagh said. So do let me know if you might have watched Lewis Capaldi, How I'm Feeling Right Now, which is available on Netflix as we speak. Now, another show I wanted to mention to you quickly was this. Did you read the email? Subject, book club, favourite books? Yes, I read that bit. Did you read the body of the email? May not have read the body of it. Right. Um, but it's not entirely off topic. It's a cautionary tale about creating a monster. So <laughs> I actually marked a bit for us. Um, yeah, listen to this. <laughs> By the dim and yellow light of the moon, I beheld the wretch, the miserable monster whom I had created. It's funny. It's beautiful prose. I'm sorry, I'm very tired. I've been doing a lot of night driving. Stevie seems to think we live in the Northern Hemisphere. But I highly recommend this uh, to anyone who wants to read something other than the parenting. Any other babies with day-night confusion? No. 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 Really? Uh, No. And what does Mary Shelley have to say about sleeping patterns? Ah, very little. Yeah, the monster doesn't really sleep in the book, just like mine. <laughs> now, that is the Australian actress and comedian, Alison Bell. And she there is attending her parenting group. This is from a show called The Letdown on Netflix. I mentioned this in last week's Boxed on the Pat Kenny show. This is all about a woman and indeed a man, but particularly a woman, Alison Bell, who's a new mother. And she is exhausted by it and is struggling to maintain her identity. And it is a very sweet show, a very sincere show, quite dramatic at times. And, you know, is a, I suppose there's a a slew of shows of late called Messy Motherhood, where people are showing that, you know, sometimes being a parent and particularly a mother, it's not all bells and whistles and lily white doves and, you know, Having a child, particularly in the early days, can be really tough. If you have late nights, you have postpartum depression, you have all sorts of things that fly in the face of, yay, childbirth is so wonderful. It can be really tough. And this show brilliantly demonstrates that through comedy and pretty serious drama at times. There are two series of it, and there is going to be a third. It's currently available on Netflix. The Letdown, highly recommending it. And what she was doing there, incidentally, was she misread the assignment for her parenting group and she thought it was the best book you've ever read or your favourite book and she's reading Mary Shelley's Frankenstein incidentally if you want to get in touch with me you can email me screentime at newstalk.com or my twitter handle is john underscore fardy and then very quickly something I saw last week that I wanted to tell you about was the Super Mario Brothers movie now I went to see this with my eldest boy and a friend of his and here's the thing I've bemoaned you know movies being made out of computer games just seems like a weird way of doing oh the the last of us is a fine tv show and that's based on a computer game so maybe the tide is changing but 
I greatly enjoy the Super Mario Brothers movie because it's really just attempting to be a computer game turned into an animated movie. If, like me, in the last few years of your life, because of children, you've played lots of Mario Kart and Mario World and Mario Party games, I've played lots of them, you'll know on the Nintendo, it's actually quite a fun game and quirky characterizations that they have. And they've made a movie. And the storyline's kind of flimsy about the two Luigi brothers going off to this other realm, which is in essence the video game. But it's actually quite cheery and fun. And if you're looking for something to watch for the remainder of the Easter holidays, there's not long left now. But the Super Mario Brothers movie was quite pleasant. And they got the kind of gameplay in the movie pretty well. It looks like it's animated, like a proper movie, but they also look like video game characters in a sense. So it's very well done. Not going to change your life, but as a movie to go see with your kids, particularly if they're Nintendo Switch or Nintendo fans, Super Mario Brothers movie passes mustard. Screen Time on News Talk. Now you're listening to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now our first guest this week is something slightly different. Uh, someone said to me a while ago, you know, you never cover much on TG Car. Well, that's about to change because a lovely little series, and I hope little isn't doing it a disservice, called Sail Ella airs on the 20th of April at 5pm on TG Car, And the six episodes tell the story of Connemara teenager Ella who's looking forward to the summer, hanging out with her friends, playing in her band and maybe having her first kiss. But her family decide to take in nine Irish college students for the first time, all of whom are girls. These Gail Gorey turn Ella's house and life upside down as she must now deal with the chaos that comes with nine teenage girls suddenly sharing her house. To boot, her grandmother is coming to stay as well. I'm delighted to be joined now by its director, Eamon Norris. Eamon, how are you? Hi, John. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Now, I was thinking, there haven't really been, as far as I know, anything about Irish colleges, and yet it's such a kind of adored nostalgia thing for people of my generation, the Dirty Dub, who went to West Donegal for three weeks and got precious little love and learned precious little Irish. But was this kind of a no-brainer for you to direct in a way because it hasn't really been done before? Um, well, I think there was a series called Teenage Kicks um, okay. that dealt with the Irish college in the 80s, but it's a good few years ago, all right. Like, um, And this perspective has never been done before, certainly the perspective of the locals. But for me, I was a Gwilagorn myself, and I was in Ross Muck and Ratcairn as a teenager, and it had long been in my mind to do something about the Gwiltocks, because like you, I felt, you know, it's definitely underserved considering how many people's lives were influenced by the graph yeah. certainly as a teenager. Um, but what I wouldn't have taken into account too much was how Gwelgory coming to stay in your home affects those that live there. Like mm. I remember um, there being kids in the house that I stayed in, but they, were all, they didn't really mix too much with us. And, you know, there was kind of an almost a meta element to uh, the filming of Seal because we filmed around Spiddle and an awful lot of the crew members would be locals there and they would have kept uh, Gwelgory for the summers. And I, that, that's kind of when I learned, oh, right, you had to move out of your bedroom and share uh, a room for three months with your two brothers <laughs> and your sister. And like, that's something that I never really would have occurred to me. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right. It's it's a, it's an interesting perspective on it. The 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 people who are being colonized by these dirty dubs coming down to their houses. And is it fair to say that I mean there's laughs in here for adults as well, but this is kind of a young adult piece aimed more or less squarely at the kind of 8 to 14 market in terms of TV watching. Definitely, yeah. 8 to 14 is our demographic, but I definitely worked hard to make sure that I hope that it has appeal for, for everybody, especially mm. there's a real nostalgia factor in here too for anybody who ever went to the Gweltucht. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And and there is. Having watched two, two the first two episodes, I can say there's there's plenty in there for an adult and indeed a dad, which I happen to be. Well, I'm certainly a dad. I'm not sure about an adult. But anyway, uh, tell me this. Ella, the young actress who plays her is... Her name's Kira Cox. She's from Spiddle. Um, I've yeah. worked with her before on Ross Naroon. I directed her there. She plays Maeve on Ross Naroon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's great in it. And I mean, there's a, I hope it's not a spoiler, but her mother has passed away and her dad is raising her and her two siblings. So there's a nice, there's a, there's a beating heart to this as opposed to just jokes about ban on teas and things. Yeah, definitely. There, like there's the emotional core of the story would center around Ella, like healing from her grief at her mother's passing and not just her but when we first meet the family they're kind of all doing their own thing and it's kind of known locally that the dad is having a hard time dealing with these kids yeah so like most of the emotional beats happen between herself and her father and also her and her grandmother as well mm, yeah definitely and you, you, the ban on teas you kind of paint them as this kind of modern day mafia in the west of Ireland who all band together as is there a reason for that or well they're definitely a force to be reckoned with uh, <laughs> I, I think Maureen the, the next door neighbour is an extreme version of a ban on tea certainly the the ones that um, our ki- like our teenagers would have stayed with ban on teas uh, during the filming so they lived a very much as I said a meta existence and yeah. those ban on teas were really lovely yeah, you, are, yeah. You, need, you need a good antagonist, you know. Absolutely do. And come here, this is kind of a, you know, a, a thing that I'm obsessed with. I seem to ask people every week about it, but you use a lot of music in it, uh, which is great. And a lot of music kind of from the 90s and noughties and, and Ella's a, a, a muso, you know, and she's, she's talking to a possible love interest about the cool 90s bands she's into. But you know, I was talking to someone last week about getting permission from the Bowie estate. You use an awful lot of music. And again, I don't want to trouble defamation lawyers, but was it hard to get permissions for all those songs? Um, it wasn't for the broadcast version. Um, I think, uh, like, no, like it's the short answer because okay. we're, we're covered for by the license. Okay, so they're just, I suppose it's a TV show, so they're, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. But the music is great, in, and I presume that that was a big part of it, because you're you're evoking kind of 90s Ireland and 90s Gaelic Ireland through the cool music. I think, yeah, there's definitely, that, like, that would add to the nostalgia factor of the show, but it, it, the reason for it is, is because Ella's mother was a teenager during the 90s, so that's the connection. And I think you'll see as the, as the show progresses that the music changes as well over the course of the series. And we use a lot more score as well as, as Ella starts to figure out who she is and what her own sound is as well. The mm. score was done by Cream and Dylan. So yeah. they kind of do interact with, like they, they're intertwined. 
Now, look, you know, T.G. Cahar, there can be an idea of compartmentalization. You know, this is on an Irish language station. But I presume you have hopes that this will travel beyond the confines of T.G. Cahar. I mean, I'm absolutely delighted that it is airing on T.G. Cahar. Like, T.G. Cahar has been a huge part of my life and it's such a great sure. station. But I'd love for it to be seen all around the world. Like, it's mm. a very, in some ways, a very, very Irish story. But at the same time, it's a teen story about yeah first love and first crushes and music and friendship so you know i think the, the closest thing in america would, would be summer camp you know if yeah. i tried to explain it to my american friends what the Gweltert is so yeah it's and i think probably every country has a version of that yeah so i'd love to see it travel for sure so and when i meant compartmentalized i didn't in no way suggest that tg Cahar isn't a fine station and has wonderful things on it but i suppose i meant that people who traditionally don't tune in to TG Cahar, unfortunately, here in Ireland, that it would find a life for those people, you know, whether you drive them to TG Cahar or maybe on the player. I have, I, I would love for everybody to watch this. Like, yeah. I want it to be as inclusive as possible. And I think the fact that it's it, it's a mix of, and even the dialects are a mix as well. Like, there's a mix of native speakers and there's a mix of Gwailgors. So there's something yeah. for everybody. And I think in that sense... It's very accessible. Here, here. Well, listen, Sail Ella is a lovely little show. And, and again, I keep saying little. I hope, take that as a compliment. It begins on the 20th of April at 5 p.m. on TG Car. I was talking to its director, Eamon Norris. Eamon, the best of luck with it. And thanks for chatting to me. Thanks very much, John. Up next, the Dublin set noir thriller, Barber. Screen Time on News Talk. Now you're listening to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now opening this weekend in Irish cinemas is Barber, which sees Aidan Gillen play Val Barva as a private detective. His work is mostly false insurance claims and extramarital affairs. And he's used to keeping secrets from his own life indeed. And he's pretty well suited to his profession. Now Barber's latest client comes in the form of a woman who's a grandmother who's looking for her missing daughter. Barbara's initial investigations into her disappearance quickly darken. Long buried secrets start surfacing in unexpected ways and before long Barbara finds himself entangled with powerful men and shady morals determined to thwart his investigations. And there's secrets of his own past that are coming home to roost as well. As I say it stars Aidan Gillen. It also also stars a young actress, Alan Kearns, as his daughter, Kate, who he has complicated relationship as well and we also have the great and former guest Helen Bean and Gary Linden playing supporting roles as well it's kind of a Dublin noir which I enjoyed immensely and wasn't quite what I was expecting it's co-written and directed by Fintan Connolly the director of things like Trouble with Sex and the award-winning children's drama Elliot and Me and I'm delighted to say Fintan joins me now Fintan how are you? I'm great I'm very good Tell me this, was the motivation, in part anyway, for this to make a Dublin set noir with, with a hard-boiled detective? Definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose the genesis of the idea was uh, a love of uh, like a certain kind of American 70s movies, like The Long Goodbye and The Drowning Pool. Um, mm-hmm. So that really, you know, I just love those movies when I was a kid, seeing them late night on TV. Um, and I've always liked that kind of 70s sensibility that, uh, for me, that was one of the best decades of American filmmaking. Um, yeah. 
And then also there was all the TV shows growing up, like uh, Rockford Files, the kind of Columbo, even though he's a policeman and so on. So I just like that, that, that idea of the kind of uh, the detective. And I thought for a long time, I thought, oh, a detective in Dublin, private detective, you know, that's not, um, you know, he doesn't carry a gun or anything like that. But uh, then I did a bit of research and realized there's, you know, like in any country, there's plenty of private detective agencies and, and their, their work is, like, like you say, like insurance and marital and so on. So, yeah, so basically myself and Fiona then it came together anyway and wrote the script and uh, we presented it to Aidan and Aidan uh, really liked it. So, yeah, that's how it came about. And I, I gather it was kind of, you know, for want of a better phrase, there was a touch of guerrilla filmmaking about it. I mean, it was shot over three weeks and I have the sense that you kind of rocked up around various places around Dublin. Is that kind of how it happened? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was shot a while ago. It was shot actually after that first lockdown uh, in 2020. And uh, we had three weeks. We had a small budget. We had three weeks and we had Aiden and the crew for, for those three weeks so everyone was keen to kind of get back to work after that lockdown. And uh, so we basically uh, hit the streets. We were quite mobile. I think there was about 15 in total on the crew. And then there was about, there was obviously Aiden. And then a lot of the other actors came in for one or two days around him. So, yeah, I mean, I've shot in Dublin on all my films. So, yeah, I know it quite well. And uh, we very good line uh, producer. So the schedule kept us all going pretty quickly. So, yeah, the 18 days was enough in the end, just about. And then another lockdown yeah. and so we were very lucky. Yeah, yeah. And there's lockdown references to it. There's masks and all. It, it brought me back, I have to say. Tell me this, Aidan Gillen, I, I've met him a few times through this gig. He really packs a punch in, in, in anything he does. Like I was watching it with my wife and I said to her, God, he's good. You know, he really is. He can do so many things. Was he your first and obvious choice? He was, yeah, yeah. We made a film before a couple of years ago. Um, so... Um, and we had talked about the film. And then, like I said, it was just this great alignment that he was free. Um, so, yeah, he was. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think, you know, when, when, when people see the film, they'll see a kind of a different side to Aiden. Yeah. But, uh, like he's a very good actor, very intuitive in that and uh, very easy to work with, you know. So, yeah, it was my first choice and uh, he brought a lot to the project and he allowed it to you know, it allowed it to get funding and now to get released. So, you know, that's been great. Yeah, absolutely. And there are, I don't want to give spoilers because there's a couple of things that I didn't see coming that are unusual about what's maybe gone on with him and other things like that. But anyway, people people are going to have to watch that and find yeah. out yeah. for themselves. Now, this young actress who plays his daughter, Ashlyn Kern, she seems like a great find. Where did you come across her? Um. Well, I'd seen her in a TV show a couple of years ago called Darklands. She played a kind of a teenager. And uh, then when we were casting, I used a casting director called Maureen Hughes, who's very good. So she brought in a number of young actresses uh, for audition and uh, Ashley just stood out. Um, so that, that, that was where I saw her, you know, and then I went to see her in a play. She was actually in a play with Paul Meskel. I think it was called um, one of the Martin McDonough ones. I think there oh, were yes. more. Right. She played the kind of the girlfriend of Paul Meskel back in the day, yeah. So that was before the lockdown. So uh, yeah, yeah. And then I mean, also during those auditions, then I met all the other actresses that ended up playing the other parts as well. Mm. And the great Helen Behan, who uh, never set out to be an actress, uh, she's great in it as well. 
Yeah, well, I mean, Maureen suggested Helen, and I said, if you can get her, that would be great. And uh, she she contacted her, she read the script, and she said, yeah, and she came down from Laytown, and uh, she was a, a joy to work with, you know, a very nice woman. And you wrote this with your your, your kind of writing partner, uh, Fiona Bergen. You guys do a lot together, I gather. We do, yeah, we do a fair bit together, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, we've been working together for over 20 years, and... Uh, Fiona was a producer and I was a director and a writer, but Fiona has started writing now. So we have the three hats between the two of us now, between writer, producer and director. So that's a, that's neat. Yeah. And I, I'm as implicit in that, that, that you're actually together as a couple. Was I, or am I interpreting that wrongly? It's just when you said it there, we do a lot together. I can't say it. Yeah, yeah, no, okay. we've been together quite a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I. No one told me that, but I just thought that was implicit in it. T- tell me this: I read a thing in the production notes they sent me that uh, the worst thing about filmmaking, you said, is talking about it. You find it difficult to explain. Yeah, sometimes uh, the you know why you made a film or the theme of the film, they're they're, they're easier to just show. I think it's like show yeah. don't tell, as they say in, in screenwriting. Um, yeah. And it's just guys yeah. like me asking you awkward questions about yeah, ratios yeah, no, I, and camera I, angles. Yeah, I mean, you know, I suppose people are promoting their films, so that's that's a good reason to talk. You know, I mean, it's important to try and get people to see it. You know, it's a very small film and it's getting released, you know, in quite a few cinemas. So, you know, to mm-hmm. get people in, you know, you have all, all hands on deck. Tell me this. Uh, I was talking to Paddy Brannock and he was just talking about, you know, how long he's been at this and how different it was when he started. You've been doing this a long time yourself now. Uh, Flick was your first movie, but you were making, you know, documentaries back in the day, back in the 90s and all. Has the business changed fundamentally since when you started in terms of the access young people might have? Or, or is it still just, you know, at the end of the day, people are just making movies and TV shows and that really never changes? Or what's your sense of that? Yeah, well, I started... Out back in the day, I mean, there wasn't really much of a film industry, so we gravitated towards television and making documentaries um, when I came out of college. So it was only around the mid-90s when uh, the film board was kind of established that uh, things began to take off. So that's when I made uh, Flick, and then a couple of years later I made a film called Trouble With Sex. Yeah. Um, and so they, 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 one thing has changed is both those films were shot on celluloid, whereas this film was shot digitally. Um, but in terms of the difficulties and raising money and that, they're always there. Um, yeah. Certainly the, the critical mass of work in Irish cinema has really built up over the years, and I think we're in a good fettle these days, I have to say. Tell me this. You mentioned the early days. I hadn't realised, but I remember being in, I think, my leave insert year and a huge controversy about a documentary called 50,000 Secret Journeys, all about uh, there's three women who had had abortions uh, are interviewed and there's all this news footage put in. And it was it was highly controversial at the time, possibly not surprising, given the subject matter and give Ireland, given what Ireland was then, it was shelved and then shown at a later date for various reasons that RTE accounted for. I mean, looking back now, was, was, was that a very strange episode in your, in your career? Yeah, it certainly was. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of a, a, actually a, a, quite a milestone moment because we've been making documentaries for RTE for a number of years, myself and uh, a woman I worked with at the time called Hilary Dully. Um, and we were making documentaries like about immigration and unemployment and so on. So the opportunity came to make 
we wanted to make a program about women who had traveled to England for an abortion and we wanted the women to talk straight to cameras. So, yeah, it proved to be very controversial in the end. Uh, I mean, it kind of caught us by surprise, but I suppose the upshot of it was that it uh, sort of got me thinking about filmmaking and it was only after that happened that I started uh, writing uh, Flick. So, I mean, there was good things and bad things about it, but at the time it was pretty weird, I have to say, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And tell me this, your movie Elliot and Me, I'm always on the lookout for movies called Elliot, with Elliot in the title, because our third child is called Elliot, so it always okay. sparks my interest. But I do remember seeing it at the time. The protagonist was your daughter, uh, the actress, Ella, right? That's correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, was it a strange thing to direct your daughter? Um, yeah, well, it wasn't, it wasn't. I mean, she was only a kid at the time, and... Uh, yeah. It, it came about really because out of nowhere she was cast in a kind of a hammer horror movie called Wakewood. Mm -hmm. um, so because she had been in that film and we, myself and Owen, were testing out those new digital cameras at that time. So we were just doing an initially a, a couple of days test filming. So I said, let's make a little story with Ella in it. So it kind of grew and grew then over the year. And eventually we made a kind of a film for RTE, a TV film. And then we managed to travel all around the world with it and go to children's festivals. It was great fun. So myself, Fiona and Ella as a family were kind of, we were in China and places like that, you know. You never know what life a film is going to have, it exactly. seems to me. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm looking forward now to seeing what happens with Barbara now. We're kind of putting it out and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. let's yeah. see what happens. Yeah, but it's great. It's a great feeling to have come through it and, uh, you know, work with some great people. So, yeah, I mean, I'm really, really happy to, to see it go out there. And I hope people get to see it in Cork and Limerick and Galway and Dublin, you know. Absolutely. And it's, it's getting a wide release, as you say. And despite the fact that you're not wild about, you know, talking about this business of making movies, you're pretty good at selling it. So, you know, that's that's all yeah. to the fore. Finally, what's next for you? What's your next project? Well, I mean, a lot of people have commented on Barbara being that it's like um, almost a pilot for a TV show. So that got us thinking um about that so we're developing the idea into a television show at the moment which is like ah, okay it's a big jump in a way because you're going from writing like one script to six um but uh fiona's working away on that and uh, yeah we have a couple of uh, projects that are in the early stages of development you know um, yeah but, so hopefully yeah we'll be doing another one in the not i mean the gap won't be as big between films it's funny you say that now that you say it i for what matters, what I think, but there is definitely a TV dimension to this. I could see it working as a series. Uh, so so we, we, we look forward to that. But Barber, the movie, is on release this Friday. That is the 14th of April. And as Finton says, it is all over Ireland. So do check it out in the cinema. I've been talking to its director and co-writer, Finton Connolly. Finton, thanks a million. No problem. Thank you. So did you, did you hear anything on that um, Don case? Bit of a step up in the world for you from catching wives doing the dirty. Tony Quinn is on it. You heard he made inspector. Yeah. Being on the take, still no impediment to promotion then. Ah, that's one of the lads on it. The following procedure. Search the house, ask the round. Mm. According to the stepfather, she has form at the sort of disappearing act. Once it kept on the lowdown. What about her phone? No sign of it. Bank accounts? She, um, took a bit of chunk of change on the 28th, but nothing since. Look, going AWOL after two months of lockdown ain't news. She'll turn up. 
Mark my words. Jesus, Jenny, she's only 20. Apart from the granny, no one seems to be too concerned about her at all. Let's sit tight if I was you. Gary Lydon and Aidan Gillen there from the new movie Barber, which is very good and a nice gritty Dublin thriller. And you heard me talking there to its director, Fintan Conley. Up next, News Talk's own Jessica Kelly on her favourite film. Screen Time on News Talk. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talk's TV and movies show. It's that time of the week and a very popular slot on this show. And it's about to get even more popular when we talk to a person of note about their favourite movie. I can't believe it's taken me four years, folks, to get to my next guest. News Talk's technology correspondent, but so much more. Jessica Kelly, how are you? I'm great, John. How are you? Very good. Very good. I'm sorry it's taken four years. I just, I know you too well. It just would have seemed like, you know, I was interviewing my sister or something, but here you are. But also, John, I've only, like, I'm not great when it comes to TV and movies. You know, I'm one of those people that I always baffle when I listen to you talking about, you know, movies and you have this Rolodex in your brain. My movie knowledge isn't fantastic. What happens to me is I see a movie, I become obsessed with it, and then I just watch that on repeat for eternity. Well, that's interesting, but the wrong thing to say uh, on a film show. But anyway, we'll battle on. Maybe this is why I didn't ask you. I'm only joking. Now, here's the funny thing. I don't even think you were born when this movie was released. So will you tell our listeners what it is and why? Yeah, so my uh, movie is Stand By Me and it came out in 1986. And you're right, I wasn't born. I was born in 1989. But this is a movie. It's a real coming of age movie based on a novella called The Body by Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen King. And it tells the story of four young friends, all of whom have varying levels of difficulty at home. But they come together in this treehouse and one day the dorkiest of the little guys, Vern, says, do you want to go see a dead body? Uh, And so they set off, they lied to their parents and they set off down the train tracks to try and find the body of a young child who was their age uh, who had sadly been hit by a train. Yes. And what's gorgeous about it is all their problems at home and stuff, all that kind of comes out in their journey to, to that body. It's a very emotional movie as well as being delightful. From the second, I, I, I've just started watching it uh, in preparation for talking to you. And from the very, very second, because I used to have this on videotape, right? Yes. And from the second, the black screen appeared and it said Columbia Pictures. And then it said Stand By Me. And then it fades to that first scene of the older main character sitting in his truck and the instrumental version of Stand By Me plays. Mm. And the first bit of dialogue, the first scene, every single bit of it just tugs at my heartstrings. And it doesn't get any easier in terms of a watch from there. This isn't a feel-good watch. And it's one movie that every time I watch it, as I've grown older, I take something different from Mm. it. Uh, which there's not many movies that you could say that about, you know? No, that's a sign of a great movie, one that changes for you as as you grow older. And even though you weren't born when it came out first, you are getting older, I hate to tell you. So, you know, that's important. But listen, you've kind of alluded to it, but it it, it really pulls in your heartstrings. But what what is it you're you're getting out of it now, if you know what I mean? What is it you love about it now when you watch it? I think there's a few different things. So firstly, just on the, from a movie side of things, incredible music great cast gorgeous like it's shot so beautifully but the thing that I get from it is 
And it's something that I think resonated with me at the time and now continues to resonate with me. You know, when you're a kid and you get to a certain age and then you look at other kids and you think, God, they're so young. I have everything figured out now. Mm-hmm. And I think the kids, particularly uh, River Phoenix's character, Chris, he thinks that he's lived a life already. He thinks that he's got all of these problems on his shoulders and he thinks that his life is essentially mapped out for him. And I really remember feeling like that when I was a kid. Yeah. And I remember feeling like that when I was in my teens. And I remember feeling like that when I was in my 20s. And I remember feeling like that last year when I was 33. And now I'm 34 and I feel like that again. But it's just, it's a beautiful movie in terms of giving you perspective. Mm. Because it kind of reminds you that everybody comes from a different background. We can all, you know, look and act in different ways, but everyone's got their own baggage. And it impacts us all in different ways. But the beautiful thing in this movie, particularly, it's alluded to at the start and again at the end, but although you may feel like you're destined to be on a particular path, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it, there's just so many threads to it. And there are beautiful movements at uh, moments of pure laughter, yeah. but also real friendship. And you can see that these moments in the movies are defining moments for the characters as who they grow up to be, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and there's there's petty jealousies between them as there is in all friendships, but there's also beautiful, as you say, friendship. They they deeply mm-hmm. care about each other. They really do. And it's kind of sad when you see River Phoenix now and given all you've said and just how, you know, short his life was in the fullness of time, it adds an extra poignancy to it. Yeah, he was only 23 when he died and for some reason... I had it in my head that he was a good bit older, but, you know, uh, the three three of the four main characters in this movie were child actors. Mm-hmm. Um, Vern, the little dorky one, wasn't a child actor until th- this was his big break, essentially. But you also have Kiefer Sutherland in this movie. You have John Cusack in this movie. You have so much rich talent. And what I love about this is that the kid actors are a one in terms of talent it's not like harry potter where you know daniel radcliffe god bless his cotton socks he's not great in the first few potter (laughs) films you know the way sometimes child actors actually take away from the story i fully believe that those four kids are those four characters and i fully believe river phoenix when he's crying around the the campfire saying to to will um that he's not going to be anything when he grows up and it just breaks my heart i know yeah and of course Corey feldman is in it who who went on to you know subsequently we found out had a lot of problems in his own life uh even though he's still very much alive i don't mean to put but you know in terms of accusations he's made about what went on uh in hollywood Mm -hmm. but yeah the, the 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 scene around the campfire actually i'm I I could well up. I'd forgotten about those bits in it. Yeah, and it is a movie I imagine you probably do well up quite a lot when you watch. Yeah, and I just think it it also depends on what you've got going on Mm. at any given moment. You know what I mean? It's one of those movies that is very evocative in terms of differing emotions because if you're in great form and you sit down to watch it on a Saturday afternoon, you're laughing at them falling into the river and getting covered in the leeches or you're laughing at them running away from the dog. But if you're feeling a little bit melancholy or maybe you're hungover or whatever (laughs) it is, it can break you. There are certain lines like one of the first lines in this movie is or the very first line is I was 12 going on 13 the first time I saw a dead body it happened a long time ago but only if you measure in terms of years 
Now, that's the first bit of dialogue in this entire movie, which is like a gut punch. And there are so many of those moments that you could pause and reflect on for half an hour before you move on with the movie. And it's one of those films that although it's often on the list of greatest movies of all time, I haven't actually met anyone else who, like me, loves it to death and would take it on a desert island with them. Well, it hasn't been chosen in this slot in the uh, previously mentioned four years that I've been doing it. So so there you go. That movie runs very deep with you, as I always say, and it is brilliantly evoked. So fair play to you. And I really do feel like watching it now, I have to say. So thank you for that. Listen, people know you uh, outside of your fondness for Stand By Me as the technology correspondent, and we'll get to that in a second here on the station. But have you ever acted? I, not in any like fancy way. I I used to do speech and drama in school. Which of course you did. Of course I did. And I was Dorothy in the lead of a play. And um, I remember that so clearly because I, I took it so seriously. I had a little black teddy dog that I carried around in a basket. And my granddad, Tony, in whose house actually, I actually saw Stand By Me for the first time. Wow. But I remember he got, my mum bought me silver sparkly shoes and Granddad Tony went out and bought red spray paint and made them since they were the ruby slippers. Uh, so that was my my one and only time at acting. But I'm pretty sure I was great at it, obviously. No doubt, no doubt. And listen, just, you know, staying with you as a young person, in terms of technology, were you always into kind of gadgets and, and how things operated? Yeah, so my dad is a telecoms engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, like he used to work for P&T and Telecom Air and stuff like that. And so he'd often bring landline phones home and at the kitchen table would have been taking them apart and cleaning them, putting them back together. So I kind of was always interested in how things work, but also why they work. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was a teenager, I often would like take laptops apart and stuff like that. But I also used to buy like, you know, the Argos catalogue and or scan through the Argos catalogue and look at all the tech that I couldn't afford to buy, but I really wanted. I remember desperately wanting an iPod when one came out, uh, but I didn't have one for for many, many years. So I was always interested and curious. And then I think with my dad's influence and all the rest, bit by bit, I started to tinker around and then blagged a career out of it. (laughs) And now you get all that fancy stuff for free, which is wonderful. Well, listen, her show is on right before this one, every Saturday at 5pm on News Talk. It's called Tech Talk and you can hear her across the station talking about all things technology and technology in the news. She's an old friend of mine, but that shouldn't get in the way of her giving a blistering and wonderful take on Stand By Me. Jessica Kelly, thank you very much. Thanks, John. I know the back Harlow Road. It comes to a dead end by the Royal River. The train tracks are right there. Me and my dad used to fish for cossies out there. Jesus Christ, man. If they would have known you were under there, they would have killed you. Could he have gotten all the way from Chamberlain to Harlow? That's really far. Sure. He must have started walking on the train tracks and just followed them the whole way. Yeah. Yeah, right. And then after dark, train must have come along and I'll smack go. Yeah. Hey. Hey, you guys. I bet you anything that if we find him, we'll get our pictures in the paper. Yeah, yeah, we can even be on TV. Sure. We'll be heroes. Yeah. And so begins Stand By Me when the four young boys head off for an adventure 
to find a body. And that was a favourite movie of Jessica Kelly and my thanks to her. That's it for this week. Get in touch with me at any stage about anything we've been talking about. John underscore Farty is my Twitter handle or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. Just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on News Talk. Enjoy the remainder of your weekend. Have a safe week ahead and I'll talk to you all next week.